0: Coming to you from Brick House in downtown Brooklyn, this is 112BK. On the show today, trying to make sense of all that happened at the close of the most recent Supreme Court term. Plus, a Brooklyn-based organization that nurtures creativity. And this... Hi, and welcome to the show. I'm Ashley Ford, joined in the studio by producer Ross Tuttle. And that was a small taste of this past weekend's march across the Brooklyn Bridge to protest the Trump administration's separation of families at the border.
1: Hi, Ashley. Hi, Ross. How are you?
0: I'm good. How are you today?
1: Good. So that was brought to us by our producer, Ariana Rosas, who was there listening, talking to people. She estimated the crowd size at about Mm 30,000 folks marching across the bridge to Cabin Plaza. She said Amy Schumer was there, Kerry Washington— Ravi Ragbir, the immigrant rights activist, whose wife we had on the show a little while back. And here's a bit more of what she heard. This from Rama Issa, the new executive director of the Arab American Association. My name is Rama Issa, and I'm an immigrant. I'm Syrian, and I was born and bred in America Latina. My liberation, the liberation of my community, is directly tied to the liberation of these children at the border. Now more than ever, we need to stand together, united, side by side, to remind this administration that fear will not prevail. Also, Al Sharpton was there making the New York connection, Trump sadly being a product of this city.
2: Absolutely. This is where Trump came from. This is where he built buildings. This is where he discriminated in housing. But we send a message to you, Trump, this is what will make America great. Blacks and whites and Muslims and Jews and young and old, we're here in your hometown to say don't deport, don't break up families. We stand together. We are not going to let you take these children.
0: It makes me feel good to see so many people speaking out for marginalized folks and for people who don't have, unfortunately, the privilege or even what I think is a human right to speak for themselves in this time.
3: Molly Hoagland, Brooklyn Heights. I'm here to stand up for the immigrants from all over the world, and we
0: need to keep families together and be a force for justice. My name's Bora, and I live in Fort Greene. And the reason I came out here today is so I can help in some way with the cause, with the families being separ- separated. And I personally think that it's, it's good to at least show up and show that you are
2: supporting those people.
0: Coming up, a conversation with legal expert Ellie Mistal on the latest developments, lots of developments with the Supreme Court. The swirl of Supreme Court decisions at the end of this term had my head spinning. I was still trying to make sense of them all when Justice Kennedy, the key swing vote in innumerable 5-4 decisions, announced he was stepping down. I immediately cursed, loudly, and then took a breath and wondered what it meant and where I could find hope. Not sure if this next guest can provide the latter, but he can certainly help provide some insight into what might be coming next. He's the executive editor of Above the Law, and he joins us by Skype, Ellie Mistal. Thanks for joining us on One One Two BK.
2: Thanks for having me. Ellie, I have no hope.
0: There's no hope. <laughs> yeah, well, that's. <laughs> That's interesting. My first question is, can you put in perspective this last month of activity in the court? How bad is it?
2: This is pretty awful. This is uh, I've been covering the court kind of closely for about 10 years now, and this is the worst that's been. If you might remember, when Antonin Scalia died. Um, the court had set up a lot of uh, cases like the ones that we saw this term, um, and they were only frustrated by the death of Antonin Scalia. Um, With the successful um, holdup of the Merrick Garland nomination and the installment of Neil Gorsuch, um, the court was basically able to do everything that uh, the conservatives on the court, I should say, were able to do everything that they wanted to do, um, and they did it all this term. They made it harder for... Um, gay people. They made it harder for minorities. They made it harder for women. And obviously, they made it very difficult to be a Muslim trying to uh, seek asylum or refugee status in this country. Um, It was a terrible term.
0: Okay, so uh, let's take a step back really quick. The travel ban was gutting, but what other decisions were particularly troubling for you?
2: Yeah, um, the decision in in the abortion case uh, uh, was terrible. um, That uh, basically decreases, uh, not doesn't decrease a woman's right to choose as much as it decreases a woman's ability to advocate for her right to choose. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found that disturbing. Um, the union case that came out on the same, uh, the day right after the travel ban, um, gutted public unions. They, upped, they overturned well over 40 years of law, 50 years of law, gutting public unions. As a minority, probably what was the most disturbing to me, besides the travel ban, was their decision in Gilby-Whitford, uh, that's the gerrymandering case. That was an opportunity to really change this the structure of our government as it pertains to how usually conservative state legislatures draw district maps to disenfranchise minority voters, Latinos in the case of Texas. And there was a really good system for, for overturning that. Kennedy have had for years asked for a good system um, to do something other than what we do. He was given a good system, and he still and he didn't do anything. He didn't use it. And he mm-hmm. let Roberts uh, kick that case um, away. So that was terrifying. You shouldn't be humiliated just because you're gay and you go into a shop, mm-hmm. a public service, and ask for a cake. Mm-hmm. So it was all bad.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people agree with you. I don't think that that's, you know, one of those things that um, generally people would fight against or think that it isn't okay and I think that sometimes we're losing the plot somewhere up the line from the people
2: to the people who are making the laws right yeah in the the Baker case I feel like it's just on the right is talked about in such a wrong manner um, mm. they act like it's a like it's a freedom of religion thing oh I shouldn't be forced to make a cake if I don't want to make a cake I'm just I get the free speech argument there, I really do. But what they seem to fail to be able to grasp is that as a person, I should be able to walk in to a public establishment and be treated like every other person. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you can discriminate against people who happen to be gay just because of that orientation under the guise of religious freedom. Man, Mm -hmm. religious freedom has been used to justify slavery. Religious freedom has been used to justify Outlawing misogyny, uh, uh, the misogynization of the of the races, religious freedom can be used for lots of bad things, and mm-hmm. I think the decision in the Masterpiece Cake Shop case um, is is one of those terrible examples.
0: Right. And one of the things that I keep thinking as you say this, right, is that you say this is as bad as it's been in the 10 years that you've been studying the Supreme Court, and it's certainly as bad as it's been since I've been paying attention, to be perfectly honest. But is this as bad as it's been?
2: I mean, historically? Historically. In 1854, the Supreme Court said that a black man has no rights that a white man is bound (laughs) bound Mm to—bound to acknowledge. Um, right. That was the Dred Scott decision. Yeah. Um that was one of the the causes belli for the Civil War. That do was you worse. think that do was you like, think that's, that's where I have to go.
0: Do you think that we cannot come back from this?
2: What do you mean come back?
0: Come back from this. Do you think that we cannot change what is? That the retirement of Justice Kennedy is a bad, bad time for us. And we definitely need to be taking things seriously. But should we be despairing? Or is Um, there something that we can do?
2: Yeah, so I have two answers for that question. One, absolutely. This is a meteor strike. And we're now—we're in the the point of the the disaster movie where we've—the meteor has been identified but there's no actual way to stop it, okay? Mm. So this, Kennedy's retirement and Trump's eventual nomination, some other arch conservative white person to replace him is going to mean that lots of things that I care about, a woman's right to choose, Mm -hmm. Roe v. Wade, affirmative action, a lot of things that are important to vulnerable people in this country are about to be taken away. And to use the meteor analogy, Life as we know it is going to have to go underground for a little bit and try to try to w- ride out the impact here. It is as serious as you can think. How so, do we
0: fight from underground?
2: One of the things that I've been saying is that there is no legal way to stop the Republicans at this point. They Ooh. have the votes, they have the majority, they have the White House. Um, if legal is your upper boundary, then You've already done lost. If we're going to fight, you have to be willing to fight uh, kind of old school activism, civil disobedience, and use those kinds of of strategies um, to try to retard the progress of this court. I mean, I went back the after I stopped basically crying at my desk when I heard he was retiring. My mind immediately went to. Uh, Martin Luther King's uh, letter from a Birmingham jail. Mm -hmm. Um, And in there, he says very clearly, an unjust law is no law, and you have actually a moral obligation to fight unjust laws. Martin Luther King wrote that from jail, right? Let's not forget.
0: Oh, I Um, don't forget. Absolutely, I don't forget. It just makes me wonder, Ellie, though, like, if all is lost, if we have no recourse from here on out, is this sort of— what you do, I mean, are you just kind of on the rounds now, letting people know that it's time to go underground?
2: I mean, look, when he announced his retirement, um, I texted my wife, and I was like, you realize that I might have to get arrested now? Like, mm. like, you realize that we now have to prepare for that possibility? In terms of the long-term fight, let's assume that at some point in the future, mm-hmm. Democrats or progressives regain control of the Senate, and of the White House. I know that seems nearly impossible from where we sit, but you know the wheel of history tends to roll. And so let's assume the wheel comes back around. Mm-hmm. One of the dangerous things about this time is that these appointments that Trump is making, they they're, we're talking about 20, 30 years of influence on the court. So how do you stop that? Mm-hmm. Um, one of my kind of more radical ideas is court packing. Now, court packing has a has a bad rap. People say, oh, it's just trying to use politics. Yes, we could try to use politics to blunt the the charge of the illegitimate justice appointed by Trump and Neil Gorsuch mm-hmm. and the illegitimate pres- president who's going to appoint the next one, that is Donald Trump. And there's a way to do it that's not completely partisan. One of the things that I've tried to tell people is that you have to remember, the Constitution does not require there to be nine justices on the Supreme Court. No, that's absolutely.
0: Actually a, yeah.
2: That's a statutory law from 1869. Right. The lower courts, all you know, the Ninth Circuit and the Second Circuit here in New York and whatever, they operate with much larger courts, 21 judges, 29 judges on the court, and then they hear cases um, in a three-judge panel. Those right. three judges are chosen randomly. Um, you can imagine a court-packing scheme where the a Democratic president would appoint 10 new justices. Let's even give a hint to, bipartisan, to bipartisanship. It's,
0: Ellie, I'm sorry. I don't want to cut you up, but I do—I have one more okay. question, and right, go ahead. I want to make sure that we get to this. Can the Supreme Court influence the Russia investigation in any way, whether deciding on president being subpoenaed or the president's ability
2: to pardon himself? Yes, 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 yes. They absolutely can. They absolutely will. One of the things coming up right now, the Supreme Court just today agreed to hear a case next term um, about double jeopardy. So you know how people have been saying, oh, he can pardon federal crimes, but he can't pardon state crimes? They want to change that rule so that if you are charged in the federal court system— You cannot then be charged again in the state system. Which would be Um,
0: awful and then would allow him to evade so many charges, including those from our AG right here in New York State. Hopefully that doesn't come to pass. And even though you tell me it's hopeless, I got to tell you, Ellie, I believe in the people who live and work among me. And I have hope. And I really, really hope that, you know, even though you seem to know a whole lot, that you're actually wrong.
2: I'd love to be wrong. I'd love to see the fight. i love that fight to be victorious, and I'd love to I be wrong about so. this.
0: Thank you, Ellie, for being on the show. Thank you for your time.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Welcome back to Break House. We have Ross Tuttle back in the studio.
1: Hi, Ashley. So I just wanted to, you know, just debrief a little bit.
0: I don't have a lot of, I think, patience for hopelessness. And I don't have a lot of patience for what I consider unearned hopelessness. We have a long history of battle and revolution. And sometimes people are squashed and sometimes people rise up. But we've had just as many risings as we have squashings in our history. Mm -hmm. And that makes me think that there's always room to hope for the best. I also think it's dangerous to send people into the world and into the streets— without hope. I think hope is essential to the human spirit. I don't think it's everybody's job to foster, encourage, or give it. But I do think it is a kind of cruelty to attempt to take it from people who would have it and who do find it in meaningful ways.
1: And we talked about this kind of in the lead up to the show about you know about doing that and how that might be happening and how a lot of mm-hmm. What is happening on the right in conservative places that fear is being stoked and that fear can go to dangerous places. And if people on the left start giving into fear of what's happening then, then we're screwed. Yes. I don't know that his message is one of hopelessness. I think it's one of, you know, shifting a paradigm. And, you know, if the paradigm is underground,
0: fear is powerful and fear is effective And fear is necessary, but fear does not belong in the driver's seat of our lives. And when fear is in the driver's seat of our lives, we might be heading in one direction, and that direction might be the right direction. But we definitely need to think about who's under our tires when we're heading in that direction. And the only way we can be, I believe, responsible about that is to let people know what we don't know and what we do know. What we do know is that this is bad that this is going to be hard, that this is something to fight and to fight thoughtfully, what we don't know is that there is no hope. You have to be careful about what you send fighters out into the world with in their hearts. You absolutely do, because fear can be corrupted. Passion will not be corrupted not when it's attached to your values and not when it's what you believe. Yes, we do want to change paradigms, and we do want to inform people. Absolutely, that is what we want to do, Okay, But in that process, we have to be careful about how we do it. We want them to take it seriously. We do not want them to use it to put more harm into the universe. And fear will lead to harm passion can lead to change?
1: I'll leave it there. Okay.
0: I wish I had known about this group when I first moved here. Think about moving to a place, a creative place like Brooklyn, and instantly being able to dip into a group of like-minded folks, take advantage of workshops and meetups to help you polish your skills, develop other skills you didn't know you had, pay mind to self-care or professional development, with things like finance thrown in for good measure. I needed this! I know that part sounds a little boring, the finance part, but it is essential. And that's what the SLAP Collective is here for. To tell us more, we're joined by Sabrina Labossiere, the collective's founder and director. Welcome to 112BK Thank and you. program director Ashley Ajere. Thanks for coming on the show.
3: Thank you. Thank <laughs> you
0: so much for being here. Can you just tell me starting out, Sabrina, yeah. what does SLAP stand for?
4: So SLAP is actually an acronym. It stands for Self-Love, Affirmation and Preservation, and we're just proponents of people using the arts as a way to self-explore, self-express, and uh, come to a little bit more of daily wellness.
0: I love that. <laughs> super into it. Where did this idea originate, Ashley?
3: This was all this lovely creature. and our, our co-founder, Mr. Uh, there's a few people, I guess, who I, I could name. I'm that's how I'm how handing over the <laughs> brief. I'm handing work. This is the thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it's like, well well, technically this person. But
0: then <laughs> we person. all like that's yeah. kinda how it happened. But go ahead, Sabrina, you tell me. Yeah, so it definitely
4: is by all stretch and, and intentions a collective effort, but it started off as an idea of what am I doing with my art? Mm-hmm. Why am I making art if I'm doing Mm. Nothing much with it and just started to explore different ways and spaces that I felt comfortable using my art and exploring it a little bit more in a public space. And that saying, build it, they will come is oh, yeah. Uh, is kinda what happened. It became a collective very, very soon after that.
0: I love that. And speaking <laughs> of that, Ashley, you gonna answer this one. Oh, oh <laughs> I gotcha. Uh, so who is you guys' target audience? Or who shows up? Like what kind of people do you have? collaborating and working with slap or learning from slap
3: So our active foot soldiers I will say active are your <laughs> millennials yes. Yes. Because no matter what you want to say about us, we are out here moving and shaking. We do what we can. Um, (laughs) Yes, we do. However, our attendance ranges from four-year-olds all the way on up to our 60-year-olds. Wow! So if you're coming to a writer's workshop, it's open for all. If you're coming to an open mic session, you'll find everybody there. Any and everything, any and everyone is our target.
0: I love that. I love the intergenerational of having people from so many different walks of life because that's how communities and collectives are not that different from each other Mm -hmm. to be perfectly honest I think collectives are just community with intention Mm -hmm. and communities so often you know benefit from having those intergenerational ties was that purposeful Sabrina or was it more so just how it worked out
4: I think it's just how it worked out, but Mm -hmm. it was purposeful in the sense of we just wanted to be open to whatever the possibilities were. Um, We're very much a collective that is just a pooling of resources, of ideas, of knowledge as millennials, (laughs) as we are, I guess, labeled. Right. Yeah, we got to look outside of that, look outside of ourselves, figure out where there's guidance before us Mm. and of course we're not doing this just for ourselves we're trying to kind of set a path and figure out what will work for the people behind us so it kind of just ended up being a collaborative collective What do you need? What do you know? And just kind of like running from there. I love
0: that. (laughs) Ashley, would you say the impetus of the organization is to just make things easier or a little bit easier for artists and to like help them have a little bit more room? Or is it more of like to challenge artists and to like, you know, look at a creative life from a more holistic standpoint?
3: I feel like we are that artistic auntie. Mm. <laughs> yeah, So oh, we have yeah. that tough love, we're going to challenge you, we're going to push you aspect. But we also have that part of us that's very, very deep into educating us mm-hmm. about what our opportunities are, how easy it is to actually do something, where all you need is a collective of people to say, I'm down,
2: right. and <laughs> then
3: something happens. Right. A lot of people just need somewhere to go go mm-hmm. someone to say yes someone to say i like that idea someone to right. say we're we're here for you we're here for it right <laughs> it's just an open platform whatever yeah. it is that any of our artists want to do we're here for it i love that
0: i love that a lot sabrina can you tell me At what point did you realize that this was going to be a real thing? Because I Mm. also feel like, as creatives and as artists, we Mm. often get it into our—like, we have an idea, (laughs) but is it going to actually be a thing? You know? Like, that's different. At what point were you like, oh, no, like, this this is more than an idea, this is a plan?
4: yeah so many times so many different instances of like oh you're doing it or oh you're doing more Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the first initial one was like I said I started this kind of exploring my art doing a lot of writing workshops our monthly open mics that are sharing tells that we host Mm -hmm. and um, by seeing the people that come out and support the people that ask me what I'm doing and are helping me develop that actual answer of, oh, I'm doing more than just trying to hold the space, or they're telling me what I'm actually doing and seeing that it right. it is impacting more than the writers or that there are more writers than you see to the everyday eye. Mm-hmm. So I think after doing three or four open mics and seeing the world of creatives that were showing up and also sharing that were photographers, that were filmmakers and, and just other mediums, but also having that mm-hmm. intersection of other Okay. Creative practices being at the, the root of what they do as well. It was just kind of, oh, we have more to showcase. We have more yeah. people to represent. We have more people to support, create opportunities for. So it oh, kind of just took off. All right, <laughs> I'm just I'm really excited. The more you guys talk, the more excited
0: I am, to be perfectly honest. Ashley, can you tell me really quickly just two events that you guys have coming up? that you think would be amazing for maybe
3: somebody like me who's listening and going,
0: what? Where? How do I get in on this?
3: Just two? Two. Just two? Just two. I'm going to throw out our Yoga in the Park Plus Field Day, which is our most current event that's coming up. I'm in. Uh, that is on the 14th. It's at Prospect Park. Uh, mm-hmm. If you can go on our website, we have Google Map Directions, but I believe it's at <laughs> the north end of the park. Mm-hmm. So that's happening. We are Games. Fun, outside, in the sun, enjoying ourselves as a big family, and then we're all going to bring it together with some yoga. Um, And then after that, of course, Mm -hmm. is our Share and Tell, which is a monthly event every third Saturday of the month. This month, it is going to be at 839 Lafayette Avenue. It's a backyard kickback. The last one was amazing. Um, There was singing. There was poetry. There was conversation. There were photographers and videographers and just It was amazing. Art art on display. It's going to be amazing. Art on display for sale. Uh, So at this one, we're featuring Kali Abdu and Courtney Wallace, but that does not mean that anyone should feel afraid to step up. Just because we're featuring (laughs) someone does not mean that you can't get up there and show your life. Shoot your shot. Okay, so (laughs) what's the
0: website? How do people get more information about you?
4: Main website is Mm theslapcollective.org.
0: We're official.
4: And um, our Instagram is our main social media, and that's
0: just theslapcollective on Instagram. Fantastic. Thank you both so much for being here. Oh, this was my pleasure. (laughs) And that's the show for today. Thanks for joining us. Tomorrow we'll be back to talk about the fight for fair housing and wine pairings for fireworks, what to sip on the 4th. Hope you can join us. 112BK is hosted by me, Ashley C. Ford, and is written and produced by Ross Tuttle. Also produced by Fred Brown, Shireen Bargi, Ariana Rosas, Naeem Vann. Tyrese Hester, Kritzi Roberts, Emily Bagosian, and Sarah Gruchowski. It is edited by Clinton Filson Jr. and Kyrell Palmer. It is recorded by Eric Hogesack and Antonio M. Rosario. Our theme music was composed and produced by Brad Parker. And our executive producers are Aziz Isham, Jonathan Leaf, and Sasha Mathias.